Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It is the biggest week of the college football season. We've got big games all over the place, quarterfinal matchups in Ohio, and of course, three Thanksgiving games going on in the NFL. BetOnline has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays. Use our promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode to get a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live. On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous November 24th, 2022, which means it is Thanksgiving in America, which means today is the fourth annual Take It Easy podcast, Thanksgiving Spectacular, which is a fun way of us celebrating the holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving by delivering you a podcast, because we do podcasts every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on many Sundays. We will hit you with a podcast on Thanksgiving. We have done it every year. We will continue to do it until I get my dreams fulfilled. We're going to keep delivering podcasts on Thanksgiving to all of you, and I hope that you all will take the time to subscribe, download, and follow, even if you're not listening on Thanksgiving. You might not be listening on Thanksgiving. In fact, I bet a good majority of you aren't listening on Thanksgiving. So if you're listening after Thanksgiving, show some appreciation after the holidays, download, leave a five-star review, any of the great stuff to help continue supporting this here fine podcast So every year on the Thanksgiving Spectacular, we try and take a dive into some sort of topic surrounding Thanksgiving football. One year, because I was feeling particularly bored, we did a whole history of the most important Thanksgiving games and the Lions playing on Thanksgiving. And then the year after that was the COVID year. And we talked about how Matt Patricia's impending firing was inevitable and how we've had the comical sports Instagram page for close to five years at the time and every single year the Detroit Lions lost on Thanksgiving every year since I was in the 10th grade which is when the page first existed in the first place which was my initial foray into being a sports media person and working to turn sports into my career and then Two years later, we can still claim the same joke that the Detroit Lions have not won on Thanksgiving in our entire history of being sports media people. That goes back six seasons. This year will be number seven, assuming they lose to the Buffalo Bills. And so coming into the Thanksgiving extravaganza, I didn't want to 
do another Buffalo Bills podcast. We did one yesterday talking about the Stephon Diggs-Justin Jefferson trade. You can check that out as well. It's another segment of our Oral Histories podcast. We did two Buffalo Bills podcasts the week before. I think we'll leave the Buffalo Bills alone. And we're definitely going to leave Mac Jones versus Kirk Cousins alone unless we want to kneel at the altar of Belichick because that defense is somehow a top five defense in the NFL despite the fact they had major roster turnover and don't really have any stars together on that defense and basically confused Mac Jones or sorry confused Zach Wilson into getting benched I know that like the team might have had something to do with Zach Wilson getting benched because of that press conference that went incredibly poorly so much so that the New York Jets press availability person had to cut him off as soon as he gave the wrong answer at the press conference. If you play that clip of Zach Wilson saying no, no, a little bit longer, you'll hear that. So basically what you're looking at is Bill Belichick's a great defensive coach, but I don't really want to do deep dive into Patriots Vikings. So what I am going to do a deep dive on is one of the teams that has always been incredibly fascinating to me, and that is the Detroit football lions and since it's thanksgiving there is no better time to talk about the detroit football lions and make the same joke that i've been making for seven years of owning an instagram page and for four years of doing this thanksgiving extravaganza spectacular here on the take it easy podcast courtesy of seth mcfarlane and family guy the same joke i've been making every year for seven years easy there hey It's Thanksgiving. Shouldn't you be in Detroit losing a football game right now? It's such a stupid throwaway line in a Thanksgiving special from Family Guy from, like, I'm going to guess 10 years ago, and it's still just so funny. It's so funny that they just have the throwaway line of Brian falling into a lion cage and saying, hey, it's Thanksgiving. Shouldn't you be in Detroit losing a football game right now? It's great. It's always funny. It's classic. It always does laughs every time because the Detroit Lions are losers and we love making fun of losers who for dumb reasons, it's kind of like laughing at like the Electoral College or laughing at Groundhog Day. Like some of the best comedy comes from, hey, this thing existed 70 years ago. No one's gotten around to changing it. So now it's incredibly outdated. Why do the Detroit Lions play on football? Thanksgiving, uh, play football on Thanksgiving every year? It's just the way it's always been. And anytime you have things are just the way it's always been, you sometimes find some of the best comedy. And the Detroit Lions getting smoked on Thanksgiving. The Detroit Lions, the worst NFL team of the last 60 years, indisputably. You know how hard it is to be indisputably the worst NFL team of the last 60 years? That's the team that gets the right to get smacked on Thanksgiving every single year because of a marketing gimmick back in the 1950s and 60s. So, well, let's talk about the Detroit Lions. The last time we did a long-form conversation about the Detroit Lions, and I'm talking about dedicating an entire podcast to the Detroit Lions, I was but a young 20-year-old podcaster moving into my new college apartment and ultimately doing a podcast that was an oral history of the Detroit Lions. And the inspiration for the oral history of the Detroit Lions came from recording a podcast after the Baltimore Ravens played Detroit last year and there was that like fourth down where Lamar Jackson snapped the ball like two seconds after the play clock expired but they didn't call a whistle and then converted the fourth down in like 18 
and then Justin Tucker made the 67-yard field goal in which it hit the crossbar and went in. Remember that game last year? If not, refresh yourself of that. I think it was like week three. It was the third Man-Campbell game. They were 0-2 and and then went to 0-3, and and then they ended up starting the year like 0-10 and then got the number two pick in the draft because they won a few games at the end of the season. That was the last time we did a long-form podcast about the Detroit Lions. If you want to listen to the oral history of the Detroit Lions, there's a link to it in the description to this episode. It's kind of fun. We do it in six parts across an hour, going through the six different decades since the Detroit Lions won an uh, an NFL championship pre-Super Bowl, and it's really fun. And the Detroit Lions have won one playoff game in the time since. It's really kind of funny. I think you guys might enjoy it. So, That's the oral history of the Detroit Lions. And we've done intermediate Lions coverage, but for the most part, it's just been like laughing at the Detroit Lions or like laughing at Mason Rudolph and Jared Goff just punching themselves in the face until they tied last year. The Detroit Lions have been, or still are, one of those NFL franchises that I call minor league teams minor league football that happens to be playing in the professionals. They are not competing on the same level as even competent and well-run teams in the NFL. Nonetheless, Kansas City's, Buffalo's, Baltimore's, Pittsburgh's historically, New England's historically, the teams that you associate with having the best records in the NFL, New Orleans, Green Bay, I mean, Green Bay is not the best run organization in the world, but we're not even talking about the proficiently run organizations. Detroit is one of the worst NFL teams of, in terms of like organizations being run. But the minor league teams that I think of are Jacksonville, the Jets, the Giants, recently Denver and Carolina added to that group, Cincinnati historically, Washington historically. Arizona's kind of on the precipice, the Cleveland Browns, the Chicago Bears, the Miami Dolphins, historically. These are the poorly, poorly run organizations who you look up one day, Raiders are in this group, and you're like, oh, the Raiders haven't won a playoff game in 20 years, and they probably won't win a playoff game for 30 years. Oh, the Bengals hadn't won a playoff game in 30 years before they won in the playoffs last year. Oh, you look up, Washington hasn't made it to a Super Bowl in over 30 years and hasn't made a conference championship in 25. Look up one day, hey, it's been 12 years since the New York Jets made the playoffs, and it's been 10 years since the New York Giants won a playoff game. Look up, hey, the Denver Broncos have the second longest playoff drought in the NFL, and it's not expected to end anytime soon. So those are the the franchises that I would point to as... uh, Minor league franchises. I happen to root for a lot of them. I grew up rooting for the Los Angeles Lakers when it was the post-Kobe championship, but pre-LeBron Laker time. So those eight years, I learned a lot about being a minor league franchise. I grew up rooting for the San Diego Padres, a team that in their 50 years of history have the worst winning percentage of any major league baseball franchise if you add the 50 years of combined records together. And now I live in Sacramento where the, I should say, 
first place Sacramento Kings currently are sitting on the longest consecutive playoff trout of any major professional sports league. So I know a minor league team when I see them. It's part of why I'm so fascinated by Kansas football, why I'm so fascinated by Sacramento basketball, and in part why I'm so fascinated by Detroit football, because the Detroit Lions have been 32 out of 32 in terms of successful franchises of the last name a name a time period <laughs> you can name any time period and the Detroit Lions will be there you want to talk 10 years 20 years 30 years 40 years 50 years 60 years doesn't get any better for Detroit you can pick any time frame of decade Detroit's probably the worst team you're gonna find in the NFL it's actually quite remarkable when you think about it which is probably why I'm so fascinated by the losers and how the losers go from being abject failures to turning the corner so all of this to say check out oral histories of the Detroit Lions there's a link in the description of this episode if you want to hear it so basically What I want to talk about is what's happened in the year and two months since we did that episode. It's not like we've just been living under a rock with Detroit, even though my phrase is to not talk about bad football. We have talked about Detroit briefly. In fact, just three weeks ago when Detroit played that awesome game against the Miami Dolphins, that was like the most fun game of a not-so-fun weekend, I was talking about how on the NFL Monday podcast, we should look at what Man Campbell has done and say, Look, you have took on a situation in which they were tearing everything to the ground and you have done the best you will do. You will get your pay for your time. And I'm sorry that this ended up being this way, but we're going to go hire someone else with the talent that we've now spent two years on the backs of your performance losing in order to acquire. So that was before the Detroit Lions ran off three consecutive victories and find themselves as, like, not the worst team in the NFL, and also not the category that I think of of, like, Chicago, which is the worst team in the NFL that's actively trying to win games, or, like, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are the worst team in the NFL who's actively trying to win games. Detroit's in neither of those categories. So let's take the time to talk about the Detroit Lions rebuild and where the Detroit Lions are headed moving forward. Because over the past pick a time frame uh, two years three years four years five years the Detroit Lions have been one of the six tanking teams in the NFL again a pro football focused guy who I wish I could figure out who created it basically created a bell curve of the last 40 years of NFL football and all of the results and all of the seasons and basically concluded that every year there are about six tanking teams six elite championship caliber teams like there's there's never more than six teams that could win the championship in any given season yes they're going to be outliers like Joe Flacco but for the most part there's only four to six teams that can win a championship every year and on the flip side of the curve there are four to six teams that are so bad that they are actively classified as tanking again some years it might be three some years it might be four it's usually an average between four and six and the past four, five years, it's been pretty clear to identify who those teams have been. It has been Detroit, Jacksonville, the Jets, and the Giants. Those are the teams you could point to. They have the worst records in the NFL since 2018. Only the Panthers have not been in the same group, but Carolina's been actively trying to win. Um, The Houston Texans are in a similar group to this over the past three seasons, in which the Houston Texans now are sitting on nine... 33 and 1 
since uh, getting rid of since being up 24-0 <laughs> since being up 24-0 on Kansas City in the in the divisional playoff a playoff game in which they were going to take on the the Tennessee Titans which we celebrate every January 12th as Bill O'Brien Day the day that the Houston Texans were up 24 to 0 on the Kansas City Chiefs that like other than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2021 the most resounding beatdown of a Patrick Mahomes Andy Reid playoff team that has existed they lost the game by two touchdowns Kansas City scored 51 points in 3 quarters they dismantled the entire team gave up all their draft picks to Miami which we now know turned into Hill and Waddle and Bradley Chubb and then everything that's happened after that but basically the Houston Texans the Jacksonville Jaguars the New York Jets the Detroit Lions and the New York Giants are the teams that over the last four seasons have been the worst in the NFL Carolina's in this group Denver's in this group but they've been actively trying to win and have just been poorly mismanaged so those are the teams that are the worst and the reason I specifically point out Jacksonville Houston the Jets and Detroit as being the tanking teams is not just the fact that since 2020 they have the four worst records in the NFL it is additionally each of those teams made trades that put them in a position to actively tank Jacksonville gave up Jalen Ramsey the greatest corner to enter the NFL in the last six seasons in exchange for two first round picks two first round picks that I said about five months ago was the worst trade in NFL history because all they got was Clavon Chase on as a bust and they got uh, Travis Etienne which who at the time had never played an NFL snap but now is actually looking like a quite competent running back and so Jacksonville gave up two first round picks but when trading Jalen Ramsey what they were getting in return was the ability to pick Trevor Lawrence New York Jets gave up two first round or gave up Jamal Adams, the greatest safety to be picked in the last five years of the NFL draft, in exchange for two first round picks to the Seahawks, a trade that ultimately netted the Jets Elijah Vera Tucker and Garrett Wilson and the right to draft Zach Wilson, which now looks like an absolute bust, but was the right idea, like right process, bad result. They should have taken Justin Fields. I still find it incredibly stupid that everyone tried to convince me Zach Wilson and Mac Jones were better than Justin Fields, and Justin Fields is so much better than both of them, and the Jets should have taken Justin Fields number two overall. But said that since 2021, conviction has only grown stronger. But The Jets traded two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. The Texans traded all those picks for the sexual predator. And the Detroit Lions got two first-round picks in exchange for Matthew Stafford. And if you remember correctly, two years ago on Thanksgiving, 2020, was Matt Patricia's last game as head coach of the Detroit Lions. They got smoked on Thanksgiving, they fired Matt Patricia, and they tanked that season down to get the number three pick in the draft before hiring Man Campbell with the full knowledge that they were going to trade Matthew Stafford and were actively working to trade Matthew Stafford. The first move of new general manager Brad Holmes, who came over from the Rams, and Man Campbell, was to trade Matthew Stafford. And we've talked about this before, both on YouTube and here, about how the Detroit Lions actually took a lesser offer to facilitate a trade where Stafford wanted to go. They did the right thing for Stafford by taking less in a trade. They got two first-round picks from the Rams and a third-round pick that ultimately was a a third-round compensatory pick the Rams got because they 
Uh, remember the NFL's rule about hiring a non-white head coaching candidate or general manager candidate? Brad Holmes, who's a black man, was hired by the Detroit Lions from the Rams. The Rams got two compensatory picks. They traded one of those compensatory picks to Detroit in exchange for sending Matthew Stafford to the Rams, the place where Stafford wanted to go. The trade they turned down that was better was with Carolina in exchange for Teddy Bridgewater, who was in Carolina at the time, and the number eight overall pick in the draft, number eight overall pick in the draft, in which Detroit would have picked Micah Parsons in his second year in the league, the defensive player of the year in the NFL. Bit of a miss. But also, Detroit still didn't do terrible in that trade because they got two first-round picks from the Rams. One of those picks just turned into... uh, They traded up to get Jamison Williams, so a a combination of picks ended up leading to that, and they get the Rams' first-round pick this year, and the Rams are bad. The Rams are bad this year, and Detroit gets their first-round pick. It's a pretty good situation to find themselves in. So they'll still be reaping the rewards of that trade, but the point still stands. Those teams ended up trading their star players for first-round picks and ultimately went to the very bottoms of the NFL draft. And so... You look at what is happening right now with Detroit, where this season Detroit actually should be better than their record says. They are 4-6 and six right now, and according to the expected win-loss um, statistic on pro football reference, which is derived from Bill James, the baseball moneyball guy, and his formula about points scored over points allowed and then dividing it by, or squaring it and then dividing it by itself. There's a whole formula that's quoted on there. They should be. and 5.7. Now, their actual record is 4 and 6, so you could argue that that's about what their record says they are. But theoretically, Detroit is a slightly better team than even their record suggests at this point. They are 8th in the league in scoring offense. They are dead last in the league in scoring defense. According to Football Outsiders DVOA rankings, they have the number 10 ranked offense in the NFL this season, which again, 8th ranked scoring offense. DVOA has them as the 10th ranked offense in the league. And DVOA says, even though they're the 32nd ranked scoring defense, not as bad as the statistics are saying. They are ranked 25th in defensive DVOA. Really bad, but not quite as bad as the points might suggest. So Detroit is actually a slightly better football team than even their record suggests this season which this season puts them basically in the same group as Green Bay and Chicago. And so the part that fascinates me around Detroit, and this is kind of the point that I wanted to touch on with today's show, is Detroit is in this interesting space where if you spend enough years at the bottom of the draft, you are going to get enough talented pieces to no longer be tanking. You are going to get enough talented pieces in order to be a competitive team unless you just straight miss on your draft picks. Unless you abjectly fail at making draft picks, you will get enough talent to be at the bare minimum competent. Washington is experiencing a similar thing like this now. Washington spent enough years at the top of the draft where eventually they got enough talented pieces in order to be a a 7 and 10 team on paper like Washington has been the last 3 seasons 
they got enough talent on paper to be a 7-10 team. Now, whether you want to point to Chase Young or Montez Sweat or Deron Payne, if you get enough hits at the board, you're going to get enough talented players in order to be better than the bad teams in the NFL. No team can spend an abject amount of t- a long amount of time at the top tanking because the NFL's just not designed that way. And only the worst of the worst franchises, only those who their talent evaluation is just so far off, so much so that the owners are potentially meddling in incorrect ways in order to mess up the talent. Like I, I made the joke earlier, you look up and the Jaguars had a top 10 pick in the draft, nine out of 10 seasons. That is a crazy statistical anomaly that they had a top five, uh, a top 10 pick nine out of 10 seasons. That's a ridiculous statistical anomaly of all time. And by the way, that one season they didn't, they came within 11 minutes of beating the Patriots and going to the Super Bowl. Like it is impossible to be terrible under the current system that exists within the NFL. And so what's interesting about that is you look at a team like Detroit from our Oral Histories podcast that we did. If you want to find a great example of this being the case, look at Detroit in the 2000s. Remember when they went 0-16 on the 50th anniversary of the Bobby uh, Bobby Lane curse? They went 0-16. That draft pick became Matthew Stafford. The next year, they went 1-15. That draft pick became Indomitian Sue. A couple years before that, they had the number two pick in the draft. That became Calvin Johnson. So they got a Hall of Famer, Indomitian Sue, who has a Hall of Fame resume, and a quarterback who's going to have his number retired in Detroit. I mean, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame, but he's going to have his number retired in Detroit. They got three generational talents by virtue of just being bad enough for long enough. You can luck your way into that bullshit sometimes. And yes, did Detroit put a stable system around them to support them? No, they did not. Did they fire Jim Caldwell after going 9-7? and seven? Yes, they did. Did they end up bringing in guys like Javid Best and Theo Riddick that didn't do enough? And were their defenses... Did Matthew Stafford only have one top 15 defense in his entire years in Detroit? Yes, he did. And that's why Detroit did not build a team that could win the NFC North, despite the fact that they went undefeated going into a Thanksgiving game one year. They were, what, like 8-0, 9-0 when they played that uh, 16-1 or 15-1 Packers team? Like, if not for existing at the same time as the 15-1 Packers, Detroit would have been a team that theoretically could have had a long Super Bowl run, and that season fell apart, and they lost in the wildcard game to, I believe, Tony Romo. They made, they made two wildcard games during that stretch. I can't remember which one was the year they lost in 2011. But they still, like, even though they didn't win a playoff game, they still made the playoffs by just virtue of being bad long enough that they were able to get generational stars. And so Detroit, now you could point to them as an example, and it's the same thing that's happening to the Jets right now, although the Jets have drafted quite well in the bottom rounds of the draft. You could point to that and say, hey, there is something to build off of here. I'm sorry, they, they made the playoffs three times with Stafford and Sue and Calvin Johnson. Um, first ballot Hall of Famer Calvin Johnson and Dominican Sue, who has a defense, has a Hall of Fame resume. He made five All Pros, five Pro Bowl, made the All Decade team, probably going to make the Hall of Fame, if not, like, might take a few years, but Sue will make the Hall of Fame. And Stafford, who's going to get his number retired, like, they made three playoff appearances. They won 10 games twice. 
during that stretch. And that's a similar situation to what you're finding right now with uh, a team like Washington. Washington was terrible for so many years, and they've been incredibly, incredibly mismanaged and have an incredibly toxic organization and an owner who's being forced out because of the mistreatment of racial minorities and women within the, the Washington organization. You know, you had a max exodus of people getting fired once the Washington Post started reporting on them. The most mismanaged team in the NFL still managed to make the playoffs in 2020 and might fuck around and make the playoffs this year. I don't I think they're ultimately going to miss the playoffs, but they they're not that far off from just messing around and just finding their way into the playoffs with Taylor Heineke having three touchdowns and nine interceptions on his in his time as Washington quarterback. So you be if you're bad enough for long enough, there is a path to success. And so what Detroit is looking at right now is all of those draft picks that they got, whether it be from trades, compensatory picks, being terrible for the past three seasons, it has turned into number three pick in the draft, Jeff Okuda, who might be one of these misses, but he's having a, a good year in his third year. Finally, it's his first fully healthy season of his career. So might be a little bit of a miss. Granted, who was also in his draft class, which was Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, Micah Parsons, like they're going to miss there, but it's not going to be the end of the world. So they get Jeff Okuda, Penny Sewell, and Aiden Hutchinson, all with top draft picks. They'll have another top, they, they might have two top draft picks this year, their own pick, which probably won't be in the top 10, but it'll be close to the top 10. They'll have their own pick and the Rams pick, which is going to be two top 15 picks this year. They drafted Amon Ross St. Brown in the third and fourth round, who is turned into an incredible value, regardless of whether you think he's a true number one or not. Like Amon Ross St. Brown is a player who, because he's only making $1 million a year, the level of production that he's putting up is incredibly valuable for the for the Detroit Lions. I mean, he's going to be a 600 or sorry a, a 800 yard receiver this year and he's go and he missed a couple games in there too like he's going to be an incredibly good value player for the Detroit Lions while he's under this rookie contract and so you get a piece like him and it's incredibly valuable uh they flipped Hawkinson for extra draft picks as well Detroit is looking at a situation where if you take enough hits at the board, you're going to have enough talent and you're going to get enough money in order to bring in some fringe level players. Is it going to make them great? No, of course not, but it's going to make them competent. And what we're seeing right now in the NFC is that competent is good enough to just get you to the playoffs because we're looking at Arizona having an incompetent season. We're looking at Washington be incompetent and almost make the playoffs. The New York Giants just got competence, and now they're the sixth seed right now. I don't think it'll hold, but they're they're currently holding the sixth seed right now. You could look at what's happening in New Orleans and the ramifications of that. There is a turnover that happens every generation in football, and we're seeing it right now with Green Bay and all the sacrifices they made to go all in the last two seasons. New Orleans went all in, and now they are just an average team who gave up draft picks last year, so it's going to be years for them to potentially dig out of this hole. 
um, the poorly run organizations like Chicago and Carolina. Chicago's building towards something at the very least, but you can at least see it. Carolina is down. Uh, Tampa Bay is experiencing a turnover point here because this is going to be Tom Brady's last season and the ramifications of them going all in. The Rams, obviously, you're seeing the downturn of them. Like, at a certain point, you take away enough teams and someone has to fill the vacuum at the top. And again, Detroit won't get to becoming a team like... Detroit won't become the next Rams, I don't think. Because they don't have a generational star. But you don't need a generational star to get back to the playoffs. And... For Detroit, that's kind of what the last four years have been building towards, is next year they can get to the playoffs. Because think about all the picks I just listed before. That doesn't even get into picking Jamison Williams by trading up in last year to go to number 12. He's never played a game for Detroit yet. So theoretically, that's another receiver on a rookie contract you can add into the mix. That doesn't include the Rams pick that's currently listed as number six in the draft right now and their own pick that's number 12 right now. Like Detroit is in a position where hit on the quarterback position or not hit on the quarterback position, they're going to have enough talent to compete at the very least in that second group of average teams. Because in that bell curve I was talking about where there's four to six tanking teams and four to five great teams, there's then eight to 10 below average teams and 8-10 to quote-unquote playoff teams. And you look at a team like the Raiders and the Bengals and those minor league franchises that we talk about, the perpetual cycle for those teams is tanking for years or just being bad for years, bad for years, then average, then bad, then average, then bad, then average, then bad, then average. The Raiders just went through that cycle. The Raiders made the playoffs in 2016, tanked, made the playoffs in 2021, and now they're tanking again. They're going to have a top draft pick in this year's draft, cut Derek Carr, and potentially build this whole thing up from scratch again. That's the perpetual cycle you find yourself in is three years of being bad, one playoff appearance, three years of being bad, one playoff appearance, three years of being bad, one year where you should have made the playoffs, but you end up as the eight seed and just miss the playoffs. Then you get the 10 seed. Then you keep trying to break through and maybe you make the playoffs and then you go back to being terrible again. That's the cycle where you look up and you're like, oh, the Raiders haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. Or sorry, haven't won a playoff game in 20 years. Oh, Miami hasn't won a playoff game in 20 years. Especially when you play in a division with an untouchable. The untouchable is Kansas City. Like, the Raiders will never be... There's nothing the Raiders can do to be Kansas City for 10 years. Doesn't mean you just throw your hands up and give up. It means you do the best you can, given that you will never be Kansas City. The Chargers are a good example of how you build in a division with Kansas City. You'll never be Kansas City, but you just might get them one time. <laughs> and uh, in the, the AFC East, it was the Patriots for all those years. And in the NFC North, it was the Packers for the last five seasons. But now that vacuum doesn't exist in the NFC North. And so if everything hits right for Detroit, perhaps you can break through and claim the mantle. If everything breaks right for Chicago, perhaps you can break through and claim the mantle. Are are we going to bet on those franchises to run things correctly? Probably not. They will probably mess up somewhere along the way if history has any precedent. But you look at Detroit and everything they've been building towards to the last three years, 
is based on that idea of competing next year because you have so much talent that it's impossible for you to not beat the bad teams that we just listed. And who's about to become a bad team? New Orleans, Tampa Bay, potentially Green Bay. Those are the teams that you can beat up on that you would have chalked up as losses the past few seasons. We're seeing it with the Jets. We're seeing it with Jacksonville to a certain extent. And we're starting to see it with Detroit. The other interesting thing Detroit did, and I think that this will be telling as time goes on, is they didn't have a quarterback they liked, so they just stuck with Jared Goff. And they've been able to build an offense around a competent quarterback. Jared Goff is what I call a fringe starter at this point, and he's a quite expensive fringe starter. But it was easy for Detroit to take him on because... They didn't have intentions of competing immediately. And Jared Goff has been a fine quarterback for the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff this year has a 92 passer rating, which is exactly league average. The league average for passer rating is 92. Last year, his numbers were way down, but he also wasn't supported by an offense. So, you know, take the good with the bad. He's been a league average quarterback in his time with Detroit. Here you go. In in his... In his one and a half seasons in Detroit, Jared Goff has thrown 34 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. He has a completion percentage around 65% and a passer rating of 92.1. That is literally a league average starting quarterback. Two to one touchdown interception ratio and a 91 passer rating are exactly the league averages. And if Jared Goff is the 17th best quarterback in the NFL... Detroit will live with that, move the money around, and then wait for the best option to come available. I don't even know if Detroit will take a quarterback in this year's draft. If they don't get the guy, I don't think that it's worth it for Detroit because you can just keep building up young talent or use those picks to trade for another star. I think that's what Detroit has with those draft picks. It gives you options. And The option with Jared Goff has been fine thus far. Again, they have the 10th ranked offense in the NFL. And if Jared Goff is putting up league average quarterback rating numbers, that suggests that he's somewhere in the 15 to 17 range in terms of passer rating and pro football focus rankings. If he's the number 16 quarterback and the offense is ranked 10th in the league, Well, it means the offense is outperforming the quarterback. Why is that the case? Jamal Williams leads the league in touchdowns with 11, most of them at the goal line, but a lot of touchdowns from him this season. So you can look at what Detroit's doing and say, hey, there is something that they're building towards. Maybe they don't need to fix the quarterback position. Maybe bringing in Jamison Williams, bringing in guys around Jared Goff will give him the support system to be a competent league average quarterback, especially as everyone is running less plays and offense is at its second lowest level than it's been in the last 20 years this season. If that's the switch, perhaps Detroit can find value in keeping Jared Goff as the 17th best quarterback in the league while also being paid 17th best quarterback money. So maybe if you get exact value for what Jared Goff is, then you can put those resources to other places. And when I say resources, I mean money, but more specifically, those draft picks. Those draft picks that they've spent on defense, those draft picks that they spent on offensive line when they took Frank Ragnow and Taylor Decker and Panay Sewell all in the first round and all have been excellent first round picks that have been great on the offensive line for Detroit and when they traded up and used that Rams pick that they got for Matthew Stafford to pick Jamison Williams. 
So I don't know exactly which players are going to be available in this year's draft class, but I would recommend to Detroit, you don't have to force the quarterback. You don't have to trade a bunch of picks to go up and get the quarterback unless it's Bryce Young and you know that that's the guy that you want. Unless you know that that's the person who you can hit on, then go for it. But I don't think you have to force the quarterback pick this year. And I don't know if Man Campbell will keep his job. I assume Brad Holmes will still be employed. It'll be interesting to watch as they move closer to that point where they have two picks in the top 15. And I could make the argument that the best course of action is not to force the quarterback pick, assuming that Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are going to be picked before Detroit. Like there is no scenario in which the Rams or the Detroit Lions are going to be able to get one of those guys because Houston's going to pick one at number one and Carolina's going to pick one at number two. And there's nothing those teams would do to give up the chance to have one of those quarterbacks. I could be wrong, but I wouldn't force it if I was Detroit. I would be totally okay picking another skill position player, picking another defensive player, using your second round picks and third round picks in order to just collect more young talent and then see what you can do, or maybe trade them for a proven player. I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I just wouldn't force the quarterback pick at this point, even if it means you're sticking with another year of Jared Goff. It's not the worst argument to make. Now, eventually, Jared Goff will will probably fall off a cliff or be exposed similarly to what happened with the Rams. I mean, he is going into his eighth season. He's 29 years old. Yes, he made that one Pro Bowl. Jared Goff has never had a season in which he has a passer rating higher than 101 besides that one season. It's more likely that Goff is an average quarterback who has one statistical anomaly of a season. Really two, you could call it two. If you want to count the 2017 year, his first year with um, with Sean McVay, you could count that one if you want. But it, it, the more likely outcome is that Jared Goff had one statistical anomaly of a season and the rest more represent the sample size of Goff. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm saying it's just not a situation that necessarily has to be addressed. And I think that'll be interesting to watch as we go forward. As for Detroit as a whole, I can see the vision of what they're building towards, and I could see a path for them and for Chicago, where if they do the right things, you could see a division title in your future. Now, might it be a bullshit division title? Perhaps. Might the NFC North be one of the weaker divisions? Perhaps. There's still so many unknowns with the Detroit and Chicago rosters that it'll take time to see what they build into. And whether Minnesota wants to keep riding it out with Kirk Cousins or whether they completely rebuild the roster once Jefferson gets a giant contract and once Bradbury gets a giant contract, maybe that's the direction Minnesota goes. There's so many variables over the next season that I'm just going to relinquish like projecting what it's going to be and just be interested to see what they do with the roster decisions because I see the vision. I see the patterns where it's like, I mean, I don't think Aiden Hutchinson is this generational superstar, but he's a very, very good player. I don't think that Jeff Okuda is a generational superstar pick number three. He's a very, very good player. Panay Sewell is a very good player. And if you get enough of those very good players and maybe trade some draft picks to get another proven star and pay him a bunch of money, perhaps you could build something pretty strong while having the quarterback making league average production at league average prices or maybe they go with the rookie and say we can try and win with the quarterback on a rookie contract and develop the our guy for the next 10 seasons either way you don't have to force it 
So it'll be interesting to see what they do as they build out that roster. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast Thanksgiving extravaganza. As always, we thank you for stopping in and all of your support here on the show. Make sure to leave a five-star review, a download, wherever it is that you get podcasts. We're going to do college football tomorrow, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, take it easy, everybody, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.